Welcome to the Campus Preacher Podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. I'm your host, Keith Thurl. This is episode 7, Catholics and Canonicity. Behold, a sore went forth to sow, bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow. That's right. We're going to be discussing Catholics and Canonicity today. Over the past few weeks, I've had some of the most enjoyable evangelism that I've had probably in the past year or so. There's been many days that have stood out over the past year that I've quite enjoyed, um, but I'm kind of on a pretty good run of a couple weeks of very fun, enjoyable evangelism. When I was in seminary, one of the things that our professor taught us that in the book of Acts, what you often see and what you see throughout church history is that you have internal and external growth of the church in times of conflict, and interestingly enough, the last two weeks of preaching has been filled with conflict. But before we get into all that, I'd like to welcome you to the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, and I would like to invite you to join the Fight, Laugh, Feast uh, Club. If you go to crosspolitic.com, you can learn more about membership, different price points, uh, the perks of becoming members, because uh, what we're seeking to do here is provide alternative um, media for Christians uh, from a decidedly reformed, largely post-millennial perspective as we seek to evangelize and take over the world in the name of Jesus, um, which actually leads me to a funny discussion on uh, last Tuesday. There was a student that wanted to meet with me. Uh, he and two of his friends, after listening to me on Monday, they asked to meet with me on Tuesday. And after we met, we're discussing, and uh, they're asking me these questions about how I feel about the decline of Christianity and Western culture in the United States and kind of where the younger students are coming from. And I just kind of kept putting forward the idea that God has made promises to Abraham. The whole world is going to be Christian one day, so I'm not too worried about it. And if you know the church shrinks in the West, I think it's kind of a temporary thing. And we're beginning to grow more in Africa and Asia and Latin America and things like that. So if there's a shift in power uh, with regards to where, where the church is mainly thriving and everything else, that doesn't uh, really bother me too much. And as we talked about it, and I kept bringing it up, they finally just ended up asking, it's like, how are you so sure that the future is going to be Christian? I was like, God has made promises to Abraham, and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's kept them. So um, that's what we're seeking to do here in the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network is kind of lay forth this vision uh, that God made promises to Abraham. He's kept them in his son, Jesus Christ. And Psalm 2 says, ask of me and I'll give you the ends of the earth. And so part of me open air preaching on a daily basis is that it would be part of the fulfillment of those words that Jesus uh, has been promised the ends of the earth. And so I'm going out there to uh, get them. And over the past two weeks, as I was mentioning, I've had uh, an amazingly enjoyable time evangelizing. And it started two weeks ago. I was headed to um, a campus that I had not been in a couple years. And the reason I have not been there is the police always ran me off. And the weather wasn't great. And so I figured uh, if it's going to be a bad weather day, I might as well let the police get me to stop than the weather to stop. But on my way there, I saw a sign for another just kind of local community college. And so I was like, you know, what? I've never been there. I, I pulled over, looked it up on Wikipedia, saw there were like, you know, 12,000 students or something like that. So I go out, go there walk around for a few minutes and kind of find the center of campus and begin to preach. And the thing that was really fascinating about this day is I never had a great crowd, probably never more than maybe 15 students stopped at one time, but the students who had gathered were all extremely, extremely attentive. And they understood the arguments, which is actually something on a daily basis, I feel like either I'm a very poor communicator or these students do not really grasp 
uh, what I think are basic arguments. And so, but these students, they understood. They, they would say, yeah, those are the implications of my beliefs. I'm not comfortable with them. And there were uh, three students particularly that were very humble and seemed very open to the gospel. Actually, there were four, uh, a girl named Nikki as well. I kind of forget the other students' names, but uh, she stood out to me. Oh, Mickey, rather, not Nikki, Mickey. And so she kind of stood out to me because her name's a little bit unique and just the level of humility. So that kind of started it then the next day and gave a little bit of an update of that with uh, the campus with the uh, trigger, the trigger sign and stuff like that. But even that campus, the students were uh, largely humble and attentive, but it really got jumped off last Monday. Uh, I was preaching and actually I had uh, three beverages dumped on me and I was hit. And the the, the thing about getting hit is, um, it, fortunately it was not a big hit. The, the kid was a little... Um, uncoordinated and I get hit with a drink and as I turn around there's a there's a hand swiping past me and it gets me in the gets me in the shoulder so I don't know what he was hoping to hit hit the first thing but then he just kept running and he runs away but the thing that's really fascinating about the hit and the Lord's providence so I get done preaching and there's probably 20 students that still want to talk to me I just sit in my chair we're interacting uh, kind of in a small group one-on-one uh, or not one-on-one, 20-on-one, I suppose. And they were largely listening, and there were students who really wanted to learn more, who were thanking me for being there. They disagreed with me. They are giving me all their qualifications, but they are really glad I was there. And there was one young man there particularly, and just in case he happens to hear this, I won't use his name, but he was very kind and very humble, and he told me that it was actually his roommate who, who hit me, but he said he's been listening throughout the day, and he's really enjoyed it, and you know, he doesn't come from a Christian home, but he grew up in the South, and so being out, and I'm in Southern California, so being out in Southern California is a pretty difficult and quite a bit uh, bit of a change. Not really difficult, but a lot of it's different and stuff he's not necessarily used to. And uh, as, we, as we talked more, he asked if he, I would be willing to meet up the next night. And as I said, you pick the time and the place, and I'll be there. And so the next night, we meet up. And what I learned the next night, so actually, uh, backing up a little bit, that, that was on Monday. So on Tuesday, I'm sitting there getting ready uh, to preach. And this uh, guy walks up, and he's kind of looking me straight in the eye. And I was like, did we meet last year? He's like, I met you yesterday. And <laughs> so I said, uh, uh, oh, yeah, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember our interaction. He's like, I'm the guy who hit you. And I was like, ah, I do remember. I do remember our interaction. I, I remember I remember that. Yeah, you ran off. And uh, he's like, yeah, I really want to apologize to you. And I was like, well, I forgive you. And he said, I, I want to apologize because what I had thought was um, – and basically, uh, and I, I get this, I'm, I'm guilty by association with Westboro Baptist Church and every guy with a bullhorn and mega you know, banner and everything else. And I, I get it. I'm willing to take, uh, take much of that because I just know it's, it's what's expected. But what I don't necessarily expect is to be hit for that. And he basically thought I was one of those people who were tell everybody who's going to hell and all of that. But then he said, I went home that night. And my roommate is the guy who texts you, and he was explaining about what you were saying. And, uh, you know, you rarely ever talked about hell, and you weren't telling people they're going to hell. You were arguing with people, and you are reasoning with people. And so I want to apologize and ask you for forgiveness. And so I said, no, I, I totally forgive you. I have no ill will towards you or any animosity. And so that was uh, uh, really good. And usually, uh, nine out of ten times, um, when people are throwing stuff, uh, fists, water, um, dough balls or something like that, nine out of 10 times they come back. So I'm not usually not too worried about the person who hits me. It's usually the person who's completely passive towards me that actually concerns me more. But one of the other exciting things about that day, uh, this was the, uh, the Monday, 
was there was a Sam Harris disciple. And if you don't know who Sam Harris is, a few years ago, he was part of the Four Horsemen uh, of Atheism or whatever, the Four Horsemen is what they called him. Um, and basically he was writing atheistic books. But what's kind of fascinating, if you listen to him, he's still basically religious. And I think he kind of realized he needs a secular religion. But he uh, put forth an argument the moral landscape, and basically he's trying to lay out an atheistic ethic that kind of is tied into the idea of suffering and pain and all that sort of stuff. And so anyway, this young man was out there arguing uh, basically Sam Harris's position, and we we're kind of going back and forth. And after he was kind of the main guy for about an hour of the day, maybe, maybe it was only 30 minutes, kind of hard to tell when you're out there. But what impressed me the most was he, he basically tapped out and admitted he didn't have an argument and just said, yeah, I'm just making a bunch of assumptions I can't demonstrate. And I was impressed with how humble he actually was. So that was on Monday. But then again, Tuesday, I'm sitting there in my chair, getting ready to preach. And, uh, before I preached that day, um, we actually had another hour long discussion about, uh, you know, atheism, nihilism, ethics, and Christianity, and kind of laying forth uh, the idea that Christianity is true, and your only real alternative is not Sam Harris and uh, the moral landscape he seeks to lay out, but your your alternative is Nietzsche, and he uh, kind of agreed, and uh, someone else asked, well, who's that? And the, the young man kind of laid out that the Nietzsche's vision is not a, not a great place to live and a great place to be. So I thought that was pretty fascinating, and so it was good to have some days that were uh, very good and very fruitful, and then maybe one of the more exciting aspects that took place was uh, Wednesday when I finished up my day, um, and it was a raucous, Wednesday really was just a raucous, raucous day on campus, and uh, Paul talks about fighting wild beasts in Ephesus. I kind of felt like I was fighting some wild beasts as well, but he, um, there was a guy who came up to me at the end of the day and said, hey, were well, you out here two years ago with a guy named Sean? And I was like, oh, yeah, that was, uh, I was out here. We're usually traveling together, but right now he's in England, and so we didn't, uh, but yeah, we're usually out here together every, every January, February, and he goes, yeah, well, uh, when you guys were out here two years ago, I was listening to the arguments on morality, and it really got me thinking. And it drove me to Christianity. And so uh, uh, that was obviously a pretty exciting thing because we don't always, that, that's what we hear. That's, uh, to be honest with you, most of the fruit is I hear something along those lines. I was there six months later, a year later, maybe somebody goes back to their dorm room and has a conversation. And then they end up uh, believing um, something along those lines. It was kind of interesting that a guy right after him, I uh, said, well, I was going to ask you if this is effective, but I guess that's my answer. So uh, that's that's where we're at. That's uh, effective. But one of the other more exciting things uh, that I really enjoyed was there was actually a group of Roman Catholics on Monday and Tuesday that I got to spend a lot of time interacting with. They were very kind. They were very gracious. And what I've noticed is that there are a couple different strands of Roman Catholics on a college campus. You're one strand seems to be a little bit older, um, not as quote unquote evangelical, a bit more liberal. They don't like Protestantism, but they're willing to grant that perhaps Islam is a way to God and Buddhism. And every now and then I'll interact with a priest on campus. And truth be told, I'm just like, their loss as loss can be. But then you interact with some of the younger, more evangelical, uh, devout Catholics in a way that actually are devoted to Catholic dogma and devoted to the catechism and to the church uh, and those sorts of things, you, you can actually have a really good conversation with them. And sometimes they've come out of Protestantism and have landed there. So they kind of have, they kind of bring aspects of American evangelicalism with them into their Roman Catholic faith. And so they kind of orient their belief, beliefs in a certain way. But uh, when I get interact with them, I, I, one of the things I've, I've found is that uh, I'm not adamantly 
anti-birth control, but I think one of the things, because obviously sex comes up a lot on a college campus and pro-life comes up a lot on a college campus, and I tried to argue all things in the context of, as Christians, we're affirming life. So the, the heart of my apologetic is that God is life. So when it comes to sexuality, we want sex to be life-affirming. And in general, I don't think it's universal, is I lean against contraceptives in that context. Um, now, obviously, I think if the uh, wife's life is on the line, I think contraceptives are legitimate because, again, we're trying to go back to affirming life, Yahweh's life and his presence life. And so in the Christian community ought to be a thoroughgoing life-affirming community. So I think that just kind of gives me an, an opportunity at times to have discussions with Roman Catholics that are um, at least interested in strands of my thought that are, have probably been influenced by conservative, cult, conservative Catholic cultural critics. Uh, they're usually my favorite people to read because I feel like they uh, think about a lot of these issues in a much broader context than a quote-unquote proof text for their position. They're trying to think through natural theology. I realize it's a, a red flag for some of you, but uh, he, they're trying to think through natural theology and natural revelation and biblical revelation and the broader categories of theology. So anyway, I like the way they think at certain strands, but at, when push comes to shove, um, I'm a committed Protestant because at the end of the day, the issue for me is where is God's word found? And to some extent, I have a certain level of common ground with the Roman Catholic because they are affirming that God's word is found in Scripture. Um, at that point, we agree. Where we disagree is they also think that it's found in tradition opposed to me believing that it's found in Scripture alone. So inevitably, when we go to have a discussion, they'll usually bring up the sacraments, and you know we're going to equivocate on the term, but I'm comfortable saying, no, I believe in the real presence. I don't believe in transubstantiation, but believe that uh, the Holy Spirit is truly present in the body, or in the, the bread and the wine, as well as in baptism. And so we, you know, we equivocate on the term real presence, but we're, you know, we have a quick conversation there, but they're, they're used to, uh, someone who has a much more, um, Baptistic type view of the sacraments where it's more a memorial and a declaration of what we're doing rather than uh, God being present and active in it. So that brings us usually back to canon. And they inevitably ask me, why do you believe that the books, the 27 books in the New Testament are canon and not any other books. And so the pressing issue that they're going to kind of press down in the context is the issue of canonicity. And what you have to realize, so, so what is canon? Canon is a measurement or standard. And from a Protestant perspective, what we want to articulate is that inherent to the establishment of a covenant is God's revelation of himself and the establishment of a canon or a standard or a norm um, in the context of that covenant. So think about when the United States was founded, it was, the, it was very reasonable they drew up a constitution, and that's kind of laying forth the covenant and the foundational and authoritative document for the United States. In a similar fashion, when God brought the Israelites up out of Egypt and established them as his people, he gave them uh, the Sinai covenant, and he gave them a canon. He gave them the first five books of Moses, and then the prophets came along and affirmed uh, the books of Moses, uh, but they were kind of pointing out their rebellion to that 
um, to the covenant. And then in the establishment of the new covenant, I think it's completely reasonable that God would also, in that context, establish a covenant document uh, whereby the church, which is being established uh, by him, uh, kind of draws its identity and its understanding. And so in Article 3 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says this regarding uh, Scripture. Um, it says, in sacred scripture, the church constantly finds her nourishment and her strength, for she welcomes it not as a human word, but as what it really is, the word of God. And I think that's the key issue. So the two of us, Roman Catholics and the Protestant, we have common ground in the scriptures. Now, in some sense, they kind of talk out of both sides of the mouth because they don't want to say that the church gives us the canon, but they also want to say that the church recognizes these books as being authoritative and has kind of given us uh, the canon in another uh, sense. So usually what I'm going to kind of lay out here is that kind of the conversation that I have and how I seek to address the issue um, in the context of college campus. So Roman Catholic comes up, he's asking me about what books do I recognize? And what I want to do is get the Catholic to admit that we have a similar ground, that God's word is authoritative, uh, as their catechism kind of points out. But if I ask them, if we were to go back to the Garden of Eden and we have a tree there, we have one being telling us not to eat from the tree, from the day we eat of it, we will surely die. We have another being telling us, go ahead and eat from it, you will not die. And then we have our eyes telling us that it's pleasing for food and beautiful and all that sort of stuff. And so in that context, how do we know whose voice is the word of God. And so put us back there, Adam and Eve, you have Elo, you know, Yahweh, and then you have the serpent. And in that context, how would you know whose voice is the word of God? And inevitably the Catholics would say, well, as he said the other day, was, well, uh, because he's our creator. And the minute he says that, I feel like um, we have, the, the, the discussion has shifted because how do I know that the New Testament is the Word of God, ultimately, because it's the voice of the Creator. And that's a place, uh, I, I think canon's one of the most difficult concepts because it kind of causes a shift in your thinking in a certain way. And so what we have to realize is that everybody has an ultimate authority in some way, shape, or form in their system of thought. So the person who's only going to believe their senses they believe their sense is authoritative. The person who's a rationalist and believes uh, logic is uh, the final authority, um, they're going to, you know, they, they think it's kind of self, a self-evident truth that logic is. And for the Christian, what we want to point to as being the absolute sovereign is uh, God and his word, which we also believe is the logos. So we, we don't want to put a huge dichotomy between logic and God's word because Jesus is the logos, the mind, the rational purpose back in the universe. Uh, but with the Roman Catholic, the minute they admit that in the context of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve would be able to recognize the voice of God without anybody else telling them that that's actually the voice of God, why are we currently in a radically different position now, obviously, there's a, uh, from a metaphysical standpoint, from the standpoint of God being a being who can speak into his creation and his creature being able to recognize it. Now, obviously, we have the issue of sin to deal with, and we do believe that's distorted the word of God. But going back to the fundamental issue of authority with the Roman Catholic, we have common ground in the idea that both of us believe that God can speak, he can speak authoritatively, and that his creatures can recognize it. So... I say that to say, in the discussion with the Roman Catholic, 
we do not need the Roman Catholic Church telling us these 27 books have authority. The church recognized their authority, but they did not grant them authority to be authoritative as the Word of God. And we already see this going back into the New Testament. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, people don't think that even while Paul was writing or while Peter was writing, that they weren't necessarily uh, thinking of writing Scripture. Uh, But I would disagree with that. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says this, "'Or is it from you that the Word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached?' If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not to be recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done uh, decently and in order. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul, uh, part of the qualifications in the Corinthian church of recognizing somebody to be a brother was that they're recognizing that 1 Corinthians chapter 14, or not 14, but the, the letter uh, from Paul in 1 Corinthians was actually uh, the Word of God. And we also see the idea of canon already uh, in New Testament Scripture uh, going back with Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter says this regarding Paul's letters. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. So very early on, long before uh, you know, the fourth century or some later date, when Paul was writing Corinthians, it was the word of God. It did not become the word of God at a later date. Similarly, when Yahweh spoke in the garden, it was his word the minute he spoke it. It didn't become the word of God because it was recognized by people at a later date. So when it comes to the New Testament, in our conversations with the Roman Catholic, it's a, I believe it's a little bit of a different discussion when you're talking to a non-believer. But in, I believe in our apologetic with a Roman Catholic, uh, the easiest place to some extent to find a common ground is in the word of God. We disagree that God's word is found in the tradition Uh, We both agree that it's found at least in the 27 books of the New Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament. We disagree on the authority of the Apocrypha. But in that context, I think we we have a reasonable explanation for why we believe in these books. Because if you believe in a creator, as we do, we believe that God's voice is authoritative in his creation, and it does not need to be verified by a council or a church or bishops or anybody else. It's inherent in the minute it was being produced. So uh, hopefully that's a little bit helpful because uh, I've just been thinking a lot about the Roman Catholics that I've been able to interact with the last few weeks. I enjoy interacting with them. I find many of them uh, to be relatively sincere uh, in their desire to learn and to understand. And so I've enjoyed it. And hopefully uh, in some way, shape or form, if you interact with a Roman Catholic, this will push you in the right direction of understanding that you don't have to back off and be like, yeah, where did we get the canon from? But it's inherent in the very nature of Yahweh speaking. So that's episode seven of the Campus Preacher podcast, uh, Catholics and Canonicity. Um, If you think of praying for me, I will be on a college campus uh, every day this week and next week and weeks to come. Every time when you go get your lunch, if you pray over your lunch, please consider praying for me as I'm probably getting ready to preach. Uh, somewhere in the country around noon. Lord willing, I like to go to five o'clock. And please go check out the uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast 
network at crosspolitik.com. Visit my website, campuspreacher.com. Go to my YouTube channel and all those other things that I'm out here offering. But if you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to contact me at keith at campuspreacher.com or head over to Campus Evangel on the Twitter, and you can tweet at me over there. Uh, so until next week, um, consider the ways in which you can share the gospel with your coworkers, your family, your friends, and anybody that does not know Jesus. Uh, he's given you all, or he has all authority under heaven and earth and has given you his word that is the power of God and salvation. He's given you his gospel. So feel free to share. Uh, Lord bless you. Keep you. We'll talk to you next week. He runs on his way. There's no time to be going slow. Hurry, take what you've got, do with it what you can. Cause the good God in heaven needs.